You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Did you hear about the limousine driver several years ago who went to pick up Dr. Billy Graham at the airport and take him to his hotel? And so it was the first time that Dr. Graham had ever been in one of the SUV stretch limos and it was brand new and he was just taken aback by that vehicle and he was just bragging and bragging and the limousine driver was telling him all about it and he says, if you think it rides nice and looks nice, you should drive this thing. It drives like a dream. In fact, would you like to drive it? And he says, you would let me drive your brand new limousine? He said, I would be honored if you drove my brand new limousine. And so they pull off to the side of the road and the chauffeur gets out and Dr. Graham gets behind the wheel and he's driving the limousine and he's so enamored with the car that he kind of forgets about some things and he ends up speeding and gets pulled over by a policeman. And so the policeman doesn't quite know what to do. He goes back to his car and he gets on his radio with his captain and he says, I I don't know what to do. I've just pulled over somebody really, really important. And the captain says, have you pulled over the mayor? And he says, no, I mean really, really big. He said, don't tell me you've pulled over the governor of the state. And he goes, no, I mean really, really big. And he goes, I know you haven't pulled over the president. And he goes, no, I'm talking about somebody really big. And he says, well, who did you pull over? He says, I'm not sure. But Billy Graham is a chauffeur. I'm wondering if it might be Jesus. I just think if you're going to preach about the devil, you ought to at least start by talking about something fun. You know what I'm saying? We're in a series called Father of Lies. And um, last week I read to you from John 8 where Jesus says, the devil is a liar and he's the father of lies. There's no truth in him. And so this week people have been saying to me things like, um, hey, Pastor Rick, when you were a kid, did you sing that song, the devil is a sly old fox? I said, yeah, when I was a kid, I would sing that song. And um, probably the line that I've heard more is uh, a line that was popularized by a comedian in the 1970s, Flip Wilson. People have been saying to me, the devil made me do it. He portrayed a character whose name was a female, Geraldine. And so whatever Geraldine did that was wrong, she would just claim... The devil made me do it. She took no responsibility for her actions. The truth is, though, that the devil cannot make you do anything. The devil cannot make me do anything. But according to Scripture, the devil does have the power to prompt you. It's a word I read in the Bible this week. And the devil does have the ability to tempt you. The Bible even teaches us that Jesus was tempted by the devil. I'm quoting scripture verbatim. Jesus was in the wilderness and was tempted by the devil. And so I understand that we could talk about the issue of evil. We could debate. We could speak for a month together. I mean, when we begin to talk about the rulers and the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil, there's a lot of conversation to be had. But the one thing that I can say with confidence to you this morning is this, that if you yield to his promptings, 
If you give in to his temptations, if you succumb to his tactics and his tricks, there are no limits to the depth that the father of lies desires to take you. If you give in to his prompting, if you succumb to his temptation, there are no depths to which the father of lies desires to take you. There's, there's no better example of that in all of Scripture than in the story of a man whose name is Judas. Judas was one of the disciples of Jesus. I mean, think about it. When Jesus is picking 12 guys who are going to follow him and then take the gospel forward, he chooses Judas as one of those. And you've got to remember that Judas was always there with Jesus. When Jesus takes this small meal of fish and bread and he begins to break it and he divides it and it multiplies, Judas is on the front line. I mean, he is not somewhere up on the hill watching from the distance. He is in the middle of that. He is one of the guys who is gathering up the basketfuls of leftover when it's done. When Jesus heals a guy who is blind, who has never seen in his life, Judas witnesses it. When Jesus makes people who are lame stand up and walk, Judas watches that happen with his own eyes. He sees all of that. He spends countless hours walking through those Palestinian hillsides, those dusty roads, listening to Jesus talk about the kingdom of God. Judas physically embraced the Master. When he saw him, he gave him a traditional greeting of a kiss. He was always there. And so I want to share a story with you from Matthew chapter 26, okay? If you would like to open your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 26. Luke helps us in understanding the context of the setting by telling us that the chief priest and the teachers of the law wanted to get rid of Jesus. They were looking for a way, Luke says, to get rid of him, but they were afraid of the crowds. In other words, they did not want some uprising from the people. And so you can't just go out in broad daylight and publicly arrest this guy. They can't risk what is going to happen if they do. And so, since they're looking for a way to get rid of him, and Judas is aware of that, that's where our scripture starts in verse 14, okay? So Matthew 26, verse 14. Here we go. So then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, knowing they wanted to get rid of Jesus, went to the chief priest and asked, So what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? It kind of takes your breath, doesn't it? Wait a minute. One of the twelve. And he's betraying Jesus. So what are you willing to give me if I will deliver him over to you? And so they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. And from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, now this is the Passover. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, So where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Well, Jesus replied, 
Why don't you go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. And so the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said to them, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sad. And they began to say to him one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. And Jesus replies, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. Listen to Jesus' words. It would be better for him if he had not been born. And then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. And I understand what you're thinking, but we just read where he's already taken the money. And he's trying to cover himself. And Jesus answers affirmatively, you have said so. So I pray for God's blessings on the reading of his word for us today. Amen? Amen. I wasn't living in Oklahoma City in 1995. I, I, I love to tell people, though, that, um, that I got here as soon as I could. Um, I remember when we were getting ready to move here, I have a friend named Michael who lives in Nashville, and Michael had lived in Oklahoma City for several years. And he says to me, he says, Rick, Oklahoma City is a great place to live. And I agree with my friend Michael. I believe it's a great place to live. I sat, I sat right back here on Friday night at a wedding. And, and I was sitting there during that wedding. I, I thanked God for the opportunity to live in this community and be a part of this community. I thought, what an incredible blessing this is for my family. I mean, we feel so, so blessed. We feel so honored to be able to be part of this community. I don't think there is a... Another place like this in all of the world. I think it is unique. And I know that many of you have been raised here and it's been part of your lives. But coming in as an outsider, it is, it is truly a remarkable place. I wasn't living here in 1995, but I did have access to news. And I was aware of what was happening to you in that year. This awful tragedy when Timothy McVeigh parked a truck outside the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building. And so many people were killed that day. I don't ever think of his name unless I think of that event. In fact, when I hear his name, that is the only thing that comes to my mind. I met a guy one day that I didn't know, and somebody wanted me to say hi to him. I reached out my hand to shake hands, and I said, hey, my name's Rick Harvey. And he says, my name's Tim McVeigh. And I said, it's nice to meet you. He said, I know what you're thinking. (laughs) And I said, it's hard not to, isn't it? And he says, it's hard not to. The reason I mention that is because Matthew is recording the gospel. 
And when he's recording the, the gospel, he begins to talk about the disciples. And as he begins to talk about the disciples, he decides, I'll just list them, I'll name them. And so he starts out and he says, And so there was Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And there's James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And there's Philip and Bartholomew and Thomas and Matthew and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. I know what Thaddeus. And there's Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot. And then Matthew puts a comma. Matthew, what are you getting ready to say? Why is there a comma after Judas' name? And then you know what Matthew says after the comma? Judas Iscariot, comma, the one who betrayed Jesus. Because Matthew has no way of ever considering the name Jesus, even in a thought, without thinking that's the one who betrayed Jesus. And so Mark records his gospel. And you know what Mark does? He starts talking about the disciples. And he decides, I'll just list them. I'll name them. And he makes the list. And finally he lists the last one, Judas Iscariot. And you know what he does after the name Judas Iscariot? There's a comma. And you know what he says after the comma? The one who betrayed Jesus. Because there was no way for Mark to even consider the name Judas without thinking about he's the guy who betrayed Jesus. And so Luke records the gospel. And he begins to talk about the disciples. And guess what he does? He lists them. And after the name Judas, what do you think you find? A comma. And what Luke says after the comma is the one who betrayed Jesus. Do you know Julie and Anthony DeFabio? They attend our church. Sometimes Julie sings in the praise team in second service. They had a baby this week. The baby was born prematurely several weeks early. And I went down to see him at Children's Hospital the other day. And he is precious. He weighs five pounds and six ounces. Little bitty baby. Julie, what did you name your little baby? We named him... Oh, what did they name him? <laughs> Leon Guy DeFabio. Never once have I ever gone into a hospital and said to a family, Good looking boy, what would you name him? And they said, Pastor, this little bundle, this little gift from God, we've decided we're going to call him Judas. Never. Why? Because when you follow the devil's promptings, when you give in to the devil's temptations, it's a path that leads to a very dark place. Um, that um just means I forgot what I was going to say next. So. In John chapter 12, I want to put the words on the screen in a moment. Jesus is at Bethany. And he's in the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. It's not too long after Lazarus had been raised from the dead. In fact, John says, I wanted to mention to you that, uh, that John, that rather Lazarus was reclining at the table with Jesus during that meal. They'd eaten dinner together and after the meal was over, Mary takes this bottle of what was called pure nard. It was a very expensive perfume and she pours it on Jesus' feet and she begins to wipe Jesus' feet with her hair and the Bible says that the whole house was filled with the aroma of the perfume, this very expensive perfume. 
And in John 12, here's, here's what happens. Let me share this story with you, okay? One of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him because that's all that comes to John's mind when he thinks about Judas, just like Matthew, Mark, and Luke. One of his disciples, Judas, says, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And his keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. No way. Where did he go wrong? How did he get off track? You're telling me that one of the disciples, when all the ministry has taken place, has become a thief? Judas had already gotten off track. Did Jesus have any idea who was following him? Did Jesus have any idea? I, I, love, I love the open doors of a church. Everybody can come in. That's the way it should be. And I would imagine that among us this morning, there's some just precious saints of God. And I hope, I hope our doors are open and we're always inviting and I hope that there's some people here this morning who are looking and needing Jesus in their lives. But we're not judging. It's not the way we do it. If there's a person among us who is very, very, very simple, we're not judging. We're glad you're here. The doors are open. Come in. And so here we all sit. It's Sunday morning. We all have our Sunday morning look because we all have one. And yet Jesus knows. And Jesus sees our hearts. He even hears all of our thoughts. Alarming, isn't it? At the very heart of who Rick Harvey is, Jesus is not confused. He sees our motives. And in the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John, verse 71, do you know what Jesus says? Have I not chosen the twelve of you, yet one of you is a devil? Jesus knew. Because Jesus knows our hearts. And so here they are at this Last Supper. I ask for a picture. Do we have a picture of the Last Supper that we can put up? It's a typical artist rendition. I, I, love, I love those lines. Have you ever seen those? Um, they're kind of funny. There's lots of them, but uh, things Jesus must have said but never got recorded. You've ever seen those? And I love the one about the Last Supper. Jesus must have said but it was never recorded. Guys, you need to sit on this side of the table if you want to be in the picture. <laughs> and so you don't have any idea that it might have looked like this, how they were probably sitting. In fact, in their tradition, they probably reclined at a table more so, kind of leaning over on an arm, kind of laying down. That's awkward to us. I've never wanted to lay down and eat lunch. That seems weird to me. 
But that was probably more the tradition. They probably weren't sitting at a table like this. But it's an image we have in our mind. Thank you, you can take it down. But it was at that event that Jesus says to his disciples, you know, one of you, you really, one of you can, one of you rather is going to betray me. And so they begin to say one after another, is it I, is it I? And, and the way this language, the rather sentence is structured, it's, it's expecting a negative answer, knowing it's not me. We, we eat with people, sometimes just for fun, you know. It doesn't always have to mean something if you eat a meal with somebody. That's not necessarily meaningful. Like yesterday, I was eating lunch with some guys, and another guy came and sat down beside us. He pulled up a chair. I'd never seen him in my life. That was okay, though. That didn't seem awkward to me. It was fine. In fact, I offered to get him a cookie. I thought maybe he might want to eat with us. Truth is, I just wanted another cookie, and so I went and got him and me one. (laughs) So we ate a cookie together. It didn't mean that we had some kind of pact or anything like that. It just meant he pulled up a chair, and so... It was nice to meet him. In Jesus' culture, eating with somebody meant something. There's a little more depth to the idea when people were complaining that Jesus was eating with sinners. It wasn't just that he was hanging around sinners, which that was an issue, but he stooped a little lower to eat with the sinner because when you ate with somebody, you were implying this openness to friendship. And therefore, it is significant when Jesus says, the one who dips his finger in the bowl with me, the one that I have made my friend, the one who claims to be my friend, is the one who will betray me. We're, we're hung up on how and what and why. I, I am. It's, it's a question I've been asking my, myself all week long, just trying to, just trying to understand it, uh, just trying to somehow how get it, um, and it's 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 hard to do. And in John chapter thirteen, though, we get this information, and I want to put that on the screen for you as well. And and what we get is that there's another party involved. It's not just a Jesus Judas thing. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas. The evening meal was in progress, but the devil had already prompted. Um, In the Greek language, the word we're translating as prompted really comes from two words. One is balo, which means to put. The other is cardia, which means heart. To put in someone's heart. And literally, that's what Matthew is trying to say, that Judas had put this idea in his heart. The heart, cardia, is the seat of our emotions, our desires, our appetites, our wants. And so Judas puts this desire, this want, in the heart. Or rather, the devil puts it in the heart of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who was going to betray him. And so, I think you can just kind of walk away today saying, my goodness, anybody could fall, right? I mean, if the enemy can bring him down, can he bring anybody down? I mean, if he can get to Judas, one of the twelve, can he get to any of us? So in Matthew chapter 26, let me share the story with you of how things kind of went down, okay? 
While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs. Sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. And going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. So when we think about the father of lies, the question I have today is what lies was Judas believing? And so I think it's immediately... um, we immediately jumped to a response. It had to be about money, right? Because he was dipping into the money bag. He had a money problem, right? It had to be about money. 30 pieces of silver was not a lot of money, but it was, it was a significant amount of money to people of that day, I'm sure, because it was about a third of a year's wages. And so you can't really translate those numbers over to our day. They just don't work. There are too many variables. But you could say, to give you a frame of reference, if somebody makes $60,000 a year and somebody offered you $20,000 in cash, would $20,000 make a difference in your life if you earned $60,000 a year? And most of us would say, well, you could buy a car with $20,000. Judas, history tells us, may have come from means. And this idea of the life of Jesus was a different life to try to digest. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. I'm homeless. And what does Jesus say to the disciples when they go to minister? Don't take a money bag with you. No money in your belt. Don't take an extra shirt. Don't take extra sandals. We're homeless, poor people. That's the way we'll function. And you've got to wonder if one of the lies was Judas. Who's taking care of Judas? <laughs> it's okay to have a little laid back. This is an opportunity, okay? Maybe you should watch out for yourself. You don't know what's going to happen. This thing could go awry. Maybe you should plan for the future. And if that is the lie he's hearing and the lie that he's given into, then it's really not about money at all, is it? It's about trust. Do I trust God to take care of me? And probably a more popular response to the lies that Judas was being told by the enemy had to do with political ambition. You've got to remember that these disciples were believing that Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman government that was so oppressive in their lives. And if he overthrows the Roman government, then what does he become? He becomes king. And if he becomes king, then surely there's got to be a vice king somewhere. One of the funniest little passages of Scripture, I laugh every time I read it because I can just picture her doing it, but it's when James and John's mother approaches Jesus. I can just hear her saying, James, next time Jesus is in town, I want to talk to him. (laughs) And can't you imagine the way this conversation goes, you know? Now, you know, my boys, James and John, have been so faithful to you. And I know that John is so fond of you and you of him. If you don't choose him, it will break his heart. (laughs) And I'm wondering, when you come into your kingdom, if maybe James is on your right 
or John is on your right, James on your left. I'm thinking vice president and maybe secretary of state, something. Don't you think these boys deserve to be at your right and your left? Just sounds like a good mama, doesn't it? And so the idea and the speculation is, could it be that Judas couldn't understand why Jesus wouldn't just proclaim himself as king? And if I flush him out, then maybe he will have to proclaim himself as king. And we can get this show on the road and we can overcome Rome and I can be vice president. And if that were the case, it's still an issue of trust. Will I trust God's timing for my future or will I take my future into my own hands? There's only one sin. And it's when I reject God's will and desires and plans for my life and I decide that I will take my life into my own hands. Will I wait for God? Not this time. Will I trust God to provide? Not this time. Listen, you can trust God. And so when you choose not to trust God and you listen to the promptings of the enemy and you begin to give in to his temptations... It's a path that leads to a very dark place. Let me me show you Matthew 27. This is the last verse that I'll read to you. But let me show you what happens to Judas, okay? This is how it all ends up. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, handed him over to Pilate the governor. Listen to what happens. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned... He was seized with remorse. He returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he says. I've betrayed innocent blood. You know what they said to him? What is that to us? (laughs) We don't care. That's your responsibility. And so Judas threw the money the money into the temple and he left. Then he went away and he hanged himself. You know what I think is interesting? The very thing that he committed sin to obtain, he now hated. I'm just waiting for a day when somebody before they rush out on Sunday morning, walks up and just throws a wad of money on the platform and says, I got it the wrong way. I don't want it. Remember the story that I preached to you about a few weeks ago, Tamar and Amnon, who was obsessed with his half-sister. He was lusting after her. And after he forced himself upon her, the Bible says that he hated her with a greater hate than he had loved her before. The thing that I wanted to obtain, that I was willing to commit sin for, 
I now hate. Because I believed the lie. So I'll wrap it up. I was, I was eating lunch with uh, four guys the other day. Uh, and um, we got to talking in a pretty good discussion about, about life. And, and um, they're, they're guys that I just feel like I can, I can just be open and honest with. Good, good healthy conversation. So I, I was telling them that, you know, in my early 50s now, I'm beginning to kind of look at my life, you know. And... And I confess to them that sometimes I think about life in these terms. I thought, I thought maybe that, um, you know, maybe I would have accomplished more or something. All those guys are about 10 years older than me and they said, if you think you're thinking it now, wait till you get to be our age. You really will think about it. I went, I went home that night. I was by myself. I have spent so much time alone over these last few weeks. It has been really hard. I ate a peanut butter and jelly, I'm sure, for supper. It was just... That part's not true. And I had it on my mind, our conversation. I guess I felt a little bit uneasy because I think that conversation has some bad potential. You know, what, what, why are you wanting to accomplish? What are you hoping to accomplish? I think that's slippery slope. I think it can become very self-centered. You know, and I felt like the Lord, the Lord just kind of helped me. It's not about that, Rick. It's more about who you're listening to. Whose promptings you are following. Whose will is being accomplished in your life. That's, that's what you've got to cover. I'm not trying to give myself a pass by any means. This is the stuff that matters. Who has your ear? Who are you following? Whose will is being accomplished in your life? Are you walking closely to Jesus? Is His will being done? That's it. And if he's leading me, then my life is going to be, if I follow him, what it's supposed to be, right? If I'm faithful to him, if I'm faithful, then my life will accomplish what he wants it to accomplish, correct? This is a sad story. I don't, I don't have hatred toward Judas. My heart breaks for him. My heart breaks for anybody. 
that believes the lie of the enemy. So follow the Spirit's promptings with your life. Would you stand with me? The altar is is open this morning for us to pray together, and we're going to sing before we go. If you want to come and pray, you, you feel welcome to come and pray for any reason you want to come and pray. Just any reason. Just just sense that there's a very broad invitation. There'll be pastors here to pray with you. So if you want to pray today before we go, you are welcome to come and pray. Whatever reason you want to pray about. Let's just spend some time in His presence before we go, okay? Let's sing. for 
Father, I pray your blessings over these good people today. Work powerfully in all of our lives. Where forgiveness is needed, Lord, give forgiveness. Where hope is needed, Lord, restore hope. Make us like Jesus, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You are dismissed. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.